Oh yeah, guy who eats grass. Sounds great. <laughs> Shouldn't have called it lawnmower man. Should have called it gay ass cowman. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. This will be our part two look at the movies of Stephen King. With me, as always, is Cecil Barely Awake Trechtenberg. I forget where we were last week. I'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Let me introduce Peter first. Peter? Yo. See? There. Was that so hard? That was great. If you guys want to do something so hard, you got to go to adamandeve.com. You go there, you use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So where we left off last week was middle of 1987. So tonight we're going to, I don't know if it's ironic that we're going to look at a movie that's technically not a Stephen King movie. 1987's The Running Man by Richard Bachman. And legally, it's a Richard Bachman film, and it is even credited as based on the novella by Richard Bachman. Mm. I love The Running Man movie, so don't take what I'm going to say out of context. I love the movie. It's crap compared to the book. The book is so much better in every single way. As much as I love the movie, it doesn't compare to how good the novella is. I grew up on Running Man, of course, and lots of other Schwarzenegger films from the the mid-80s and late-80s and whatnot. I had only found out into my later teens that it was uh, based on uh, a book and that it was the a Stephen King pseudonym book. I still haven't really... No, I've read it, actually, but it's just been such a long time. I remember that the ending is quite different and almost kind of... Uh, mirrors like the the true events of 9-11 or whatever like it, it has to do with like a plane crashing into a building um it, it's, it's a little more complicated than that it yeah the, it's, the, it's the, a much darker yeah, uh, bleaker the, ending and uh the arnold's character uh who's supposed to be arnold's character has like a, a family that's kidnapped or something like there, there's a lot more to it but the movie is ah oh, it's fantastic like it's it's a classic arnold schwarzenegger action film with a lot of really great political satire and, and social satire a lot of great over-the-top action a lot of um wonderful 80s americana you know pastel colors and, and i'm sorry peter i can't and, hear you it must be the steroids it must be the steroids i go to school with some steroids <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sven Oli Thorsen. Sven Oli Thorsen just being great yes, steroids make you deaf like oh just fantastic and it's um who's the it's it's the game show host richard that plays dawson. Killian. It's, uh, richard dawson richard dawson richard dawson yes family feud yep what show is he yeah yeah he was family feud he did a brilliant job that's a to me, that's a classic, um, essential Arnold 80s action movie with a lot of great music, a lot of great color. And it even, um, it is, it's even ahead of its time. It kind of predicted 
reality shows and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's really great and utilizing plots that would be later, later on used by stuff like Battle Royale and of course the Hungry Games and all that stuff. But I, I feel like Running Man always did it the best and had a really believable plot structure to it in that you could see people actually buying into the show because it's not like they're actually admitting on the show that there's, that they're killing these people. You know, at the end of it, if they win and I'm sure on the show, usually they would. Um, it's like, oh, well, they, they get to go on the, paid vacation to the Bahamas and all this stuff. And then but it isn't until the end of the movie that you find out that these convicts are actually getting killed and that they're left in like the catacombs of the sets and all that stuff. So it's it's actually a very well-structured and believable dystopian plot because unlike stuff like uh, Hunger Games where they're taking children away from parents right in front of their faces and then it isn't until 70 years later and some chick kissing her fingers and finger banging into the air that everybody decides to finally revolt. In, in, uh, Running Man, it's the, the television studio is lying to everybody. Killian is lying to everyone. He's making everybody believe that these, these convicts are actually going off to live these great lives, but it's actually video doctoring. And then you find out that these people are actually getting killed on camera. And naturally society doesn't stand for it because this is, this is fucking criminal. It's, it's Peter, flat that's out what you get when you keep teaching kids the Constitution. <laughs> it's really one of the better um, dystopia kind of, I wouldn't say post-apocalyptic. I definitely say more dystopian sci-fi that I think paved the way for a lot of movies like it. But nothing else, I think, really did it quite as well. And in my opinion, believably, and brought so many things to the table and predicted so many things. Like, when this came out, nobody ever thought a show like, like Survivor or other reality shows would come about that are similar in in content as something like The Running Man was, which I think is really, really cool and really helps it stand the test of time. The only problem I really have with the movie outside of some obvious plot problems, but those are due to a rushed production, the writer's strike was about to happen. The book actually has a point to it. The The book is not so much social satire, but it's using the Running Man game show. And they're not they're not criminals in the in the book. They're contestants because America's economy has collapsed, and this is the really the only way you can make money. So mm. they're they're a little more willing. There's a lot more of the cheating, and there's a lot more class warfare going on. The book actually has a lot more depth to it, but I mm. <clears throat> I really don't think in '87 that would have translated. But I I love both of them. But post 9/11. The book ends with the with the Richards character lining his pockets with C4, hijacking a 747, and flying it into the twin towers of the games building while giving Killian the middle finger. Post 9-11, you are never going to get that ending on film. Yeah, that, that's right. Here, Sub-Zero. Now, Plane Zero. <laughs> that's an awful accent. That's almost as bad as my Arnold. Oh, hey, Lighthead. Just... Hey, Christmas tree. <laughs> I did it's not need to see so him running around great. with his his top on and just his tidy whities I didn't need uh, to see that later in the movie. What happened it's, to Buzzsaw? Uh, he had to split. <laughs> he has so many like great one-liners. Mick, yes, Mick Fleetwood as the leader of the resistance, and Weasel Zappa. 
as yes. uh, as like his like first uh, first mate or whatever. Yeah, I I love the Running Man. I think um, it is just uh, one of the quintessential '80s movies. One of the quintessential Arnold movies. Uh, everybody nails it. Everybody gives a great performance. Uh, it's the action is great. There's a, like it's ridiculously violent neck brace thing inspired the Rutger Hauer movie Deadlock slash Wedlock. So much good in it, and it's so much good that has come out of it. Arnold uh, looks never... badass in a beard too. Ar- oh God, yeah, yeah, he's got that freaking rock and roll beard. Yeah, he's he yeah. looks really tough. You know, not that he ever doesn't look tough, but you know, yeah, that beard, it's like holy crap. He's carrying this giant steel girder all by himself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're just like, okay, uh, don't mess with this dude, you know. <laughs> but uh yeah, the the whole the whole thing is just perfect. I think the only thing has always bugged me about it, but I, I just kinda laugh and shrug it off. They they keep pushing, you know, last year's winners was uh, Whitman, Price and Haddad. And uh, you know, Whitman, Price and Haddad. And then they're going through the bowels of the building and they just find this random locker room. And it just so happens that all three of their bodies are just in. In there you and know, it was yeah. on fireballs level too where they knew cameras were going to be that's one of the plot problems i'm talking about that yeah e- even the use, first time uh, you see it you go wait what what because at the end they use the footage um showing like their corpses and it's literally just still shots from the movie and yeah. how would that have ever been taken because that whole zone uh gets blown up doesn't it also well early on mm-hmm. before they get caught when they're getting the neck braces off there's a promo running for the running man that's actually the scene of them fighting sub zero and you're like wait what <laughs> <laughs> It does yeah. have kind of that, like, uh, it, it's forgivable because Running Man does have that sort of exploitation B-movie charm to it. So you, you can't really scrutinize it too much for it because it, it has that sort of almost like Roger Corman-esque sort of vibe to it. Yeah. And by the end, you're just clapping and cheering and it doesn't yeah. matter. You know, it's just, it's so fun that it overrides like any little nitpicky stuff. It's just like, you know yeah. what? I just was solidly entertained. Saw a dude in a light, bright suit get a freaking Maria Conchita Alonso was so hot in that jumper too. Yeah, she was really cute. And, uh, yeah, just everything about it. Uh, Richard Dawson just playing a fantastic villain that no one expected. Yeah, just, just a really, really great movie. We move on from Running Man, cause like I said, technically that's not a Stephen King, not, it's technically not a Stephen King adaptation. And I mean, I mean, I mean that legally and on screen. There was no Stephen King movies in 1988. This is the first year since 1982 where there has not been a Stephen King movie. We go to Pet Cemetery in 1989. Now, I know a lot of people love this movie, and I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't understand why everyone loves this movie so much. I think the kid is creepy. Parts of the movie work. Just overall, Pet Cemetery is just, eh, Pet Cemetery's on to me. I like Pet Cemetery a lot. I don't think it's like a great movie, but I think it is a very, very good movie. The biggest thing that always gets me, and I think it is one of the most perfect scenes in the movie and just, just an amazing scene in general to portray something that is just absolutely devastating. When Gage gets hit by the truck, you don't 
really see it. You just see him in front of the truck and then it cuts to the father screaming and then it shows scenes of him like growing up as like a kid and then it and then you just see the shoe like falling off the side of the road. I think that is devastating. I think that actually is more effective than seeing him actually get hit by the truck. I think mm-hmm. like that like just talking about it is is like really making like like bringing up the the the, the emotions. It's just like it's so well done. Sometimes and uh, what you don't see is more powerful. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, you, but the thing is, there's there's a fine line. Like like the the off screen kills on some things. Like it doesn't work in certain types of films. But the way that they did it with the montage is what made it so much more effective. Because you're like. Mm. Oh my God, you know, like this, this guy, like you see him like going through like his kid's life in his head as his kid's getting hit by a truck. It's just, it's devastating. And, uh, and I liked, um, I liked church too. I thought the cat was awesome. I thought the, <laughs> the cat was like the, really the, the best part of the movie as far as like acting. And I like, uh, Dale Midkiff a lot. And then, uh, um, uh, Tasha Yar, whose name's escaping me. Denise um, Crosby. Denise Crosby, thank you. I think that, like, she was really good, and, but there's a lot of really good elements to it. Fred Gwynn was, uh, Herman was Munster, great. yes. Herman Munster is like the, as the neighbor, and, uh, like, the, the sound design that they had for the trucks that kept going by, I thought that, uh, it was done very well, and I do genuinely love the film. Fuck it. You know what? It, it, now that I'm talking about it, it is a great movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> now that I'm like reminiscing about it, I'm like, you know what? It is like, it's, it's very good. It's very great. Um, so much good about it. I genuinely enjoy it. I think that, um, the, the effects of the, uh, of the kid that he keeps seeing over and over again, uh, that, uh, is, is the, uh, the kid who died early on, who's telling him not to bury Gage, you know, in the pet cemetery, the role, the Ramones song, pet cemetery, just a lot of good about it. Uh, I, I enjoy it a lot. I think that it's a, it's a good movie. I, and yeah, it's, uh, it's good. I think Cecil put it really well. Yeah, all of that I, I absolutely agree with. And I always really, we probably won't talk about the sequel, but I always really loved the sequel too and thought it was quite underrated, really solid cast. You had uh, Clancy Brown, Edward Furlong. It was a little more on the fun side, but I think both of them I enjoy quite a bit. It's uh, the Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery 1 and 2 are usually like go-to uh, Halloween movies for me. I, I find them both really solid. Well, then we go to 1990 for another, it's an anthology film, but Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. It, which is for, as we, as Cecil and I had discussed on our Creepshow retrospective, for all intents and purposes, it's Creepshow 3. And I'm not going to go into the reason why it's Tales from the Dark Side rather than Creepshow again. Go back and listen to that episode. I explain it in detail. The Cat from Hell story from the 1977 uh, novella that, or the 1977 short story that Stephen King wrote. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, overall works, but I gotta say, Stephen King blew it on this one because Cat from Hell is the weakest of all the stories in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. So the one Stephen King element is the one I walked away from liking the least. It's been too long since I've really seen it, or if I've even seen the fucking Tales from the Dark Side movie. Um, I don't well, really have. You should. Have... If you haven't, you should see I it. Probably should. Yeah, I don't really have anything to say about it, unfortunately. Danny Harry tries to cook Joey Lawrence's little brother. It's uh, it's good. I uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, we talked about it a lot on uh, the the other video, so or on the other show. So good. Anthologies are weird because, uh, as we said with Creep Show, you've got ones that are are better than others and so you kind of have to watch the you know take the good with the bad but overall it's it's fun and yeah debbie harry uh does a very good job in it 
Well, then also in 1990, we have Graveyard Shift. We're going to get to it, but at the time I thought, was the dumbest Stephen King story to ever be turned into a movie. Graveyard Shift is literally about giant mutant rats in like a pencil factory or something like that. It's been a long time. The only thing I remember being good about the movie was Brad Dourif being wildly over the top to the point where he's almost in a different film than everybody else. But I remember Graveyard Shift being almost laughably bad, that it's almost like a satire of what a Stephen King movie is. Except when you listen to the director, he, it was played, it was a total straight movie, and he was trying to make a scary giant rat movie, and it didn't work at all. I only ever seen Graveyard Shift once, and I didn't like it, and I don't remember anything else really just that i i want to go back and watch it again just out of curiosity but i remember watching it and just being like oh this stinks brad Dourif's really fun though well brad Dourif's always fun i saw it when i was very young and i remember parts of it and i remember finding the vibe of it kind of creepy but i was pretty young like i was at least maybe 11 or 12 or something it's been a long time it's one of those, those ones i've been wanting to revisit because i like movies about giant rats and stuff i think food of the gods 2 is really fun i like rats nights of terror and uh, i like those types of uh, little little creature features about flesh-eating uh, animals and, and stuff like that and i think rats are creepy and they make for good good horror movie fodder uh, it's been a long time since i'd seen it because and i remember Kind of finding it creepy as a kid, but it, I don't know if it's going to hold up as well, but I feel like it's one of those movies I, I should revisit because I, I found the premise to be kind of interesting and I found the, just the general vibe of the, of the place they're, they're working in like a mine or something, right? No, like that's, it, that's the, where it they're working, they're working underneath in the sewers of like a, a, a rundown factory. Yeah, like I, I found, um, the locations they, they shot in and the set design and stuff and the, the general atmosphere I found creepy when I saw it. But then again, I was pretty, pretty young, but I, I can still remember it in my head. I think as a premise, I remember it kind of working and kind of freaking me out, but I would have to, I'd have to revisit it to really get a, a true opinion on it. But, uh, I remember kind of digging it. I mean, then again, it was like one of the, sort of the first horror movies I had seen that wasn't like a universal monster movie or a Freddy or a Jason. Like it was sort of the, the other like offshoot movies that I started to see later on in life and stuff like that. So I, I don't remember enough about it to remember if it was good, but I remember enough about it to know that I kind of liked the general vibe of it and found it kind of creepy. We finish out 1990 with misery. I remember now, maybe the reason I didn't like Misery as much, I've never read the novel for this one, is it was hyped to me so much in Fangoria and even Starlog and all my friends. Oh my god, this is so amazing. By the time I actually saw it, I was like, it was okay. Misery, I don't know, it's a cock duty film as far as I'm concerned. What? Misery's great. What's wrong with you? It's so good. It's so creepy. Kathy Bates is amazing. James Caan is incredibly sympathetic. It's got such a great mood to it. I don't know. I, I find um Misery might be my personal favorite of the Stephen King adaptation movies. And I think it's because of the stellar performances of those two. Because you're with them the most. It's them interacting with each other. It's James Caan's fear whenever she's on screen. It's his... um desperation every time she's off screen 
uh, to try to get out of the house in, in any way that he can. Um, it's you really wanting him to escape anytime you see another car pulling into a driveway, like when the sheriff shows up. I think it's a movie with incredible mood and a lot of dread. And the, the, the final showdown between the two of them at the end is so tense. It, it's one that I revisit quite a lot, and I really think it's it's one of the more impressive um, adaptations. Like to me, I I put it up there as as one of the best Stephen King adaptations ever. To, to anyone that hasn't seen Misery, whatever, I'm hyping it up like the like the people that were hyping it up to Josh, and I believe it deserves to be hyped up because it's a fucking fantastic movie. I like it. I think um, Kathy Bates really did, you know, deserve all the acclaim for it because uh, she's so good in it. They did change some things from the books, like she, you know, didn't uh, cut his feet off uh, and uh, cauterize it with a with a hot. Um, a hot frying pan, I believe, but you know, just she hobbled him and, uh, like he didn't drink his own pee. Like there was stuff like that that they left out. But, um, overall, like it, it's just, it's really effective. It's really creepy. And it, like if you think about it, it's, it's a rarity because a good chunk of the film is just him in a room. And that's yeah. always really hard to pull off and especially hard to pull off to make it scary. Well, when it's James just- Conn's a consummate actor. Exactly. Oh, James Conn, that's the thing. If you had a lesser actor in there, it wouldn't have been good. Like, you needed to have him, yeah, James Conn and Kathy Bates, two very good actor, two yeah. great actors going back and forth on it. And, uh, and if it would have been lesser actors, if one of them wouldn't have been able to give as good a performance, the whole thing would have fallen apart. His fans got pissy because he wrote Eyes of the Dragon and it wasn't a book that they approved of. You know, they were wow. like, you know, what's this? It's a fantasy movie. We were a fantasy book. We want horror. And so he wrote Misery as his way of coping with that, of being like, you know, you've, I give you everything, you know, and you still, you, you know, it's not good enough. So yeah. he wrote Misery as his response to that. So is what ended up in, uh, inadvertently inspiring Misery. And <laughs> Eyes of the Dragon, I think is, is, much like Stand By Me, I like a lot of, uh, I, a lot of times I end up liking his non-horror stuff more than his horror stuff. It just kind mm. of resonates a little bit more. Well, but then you could go to his arguable sci-fi stuff. 1991 was another Stephen Kingless year for movies. I don't know why, but nothing in 1991. Then in 1992, we have another technical Stephen King movie, and that's The Lawnmower Man, where New Line bought the rights to his story, The Lawnmower Man, and then made a movie that was nothing whatsoever like it to the point where Stephen King had to sue to get his not only name removed from the film, but to have them stop advertising it as a freaking Stephen King movie. So technically, <laughs> The Lawnmower Man is a Stephen King movie, but technically it also isn't. It's also crap. I think it's a garbage oh. movie. Jeff Fahey's fun, but it's a crap movie. I hate to say it, but I like I like the Max Headroom sequel better. Both are fun. I like Lawnmower Man 1 and 2. I'd never read the book, so I have nothing to compare it to. It's, but it's, it's only one... a short story, and it, it, it's about a creepy guy who eats grass. And he, he trims people's lawns by eating all of the grass to a nice, even level, and then he kills somebody. It's it's only like a 20-page story. Well, f*** the short story, then. The movie did a way better <laughs> plot. <laughs> that sounds stupid. The movie the movie is so much better. I'm not even going to read that shit. I always really like Lawnmower Man. It was a movie for some reason I really liked as a kid. You like, just I'm like Cybo like Man. I, I'm, I'm talking like seven, Cyber, eight years yes. old. Cybo, yes. Cybo Man. <laughs> the monkey. 
Yeah, I'm sure it, it, I'm sure it had to do a lot with that and the like virtual reality scenes I probably thought were really cool when I was a kid. Cause also around that time, like reboot came out and stuff like that. So it's like you had all these like weird, innovative 90s CG and whatnot. So as a kid, I really enjoyed Lawnmower Man. I always thought Jeff Fahey was, was really fun. Uh, when I, when I would go back to revisit the movie. So it's, it's one of those movies from my, my childhood that I really enjoyed and I still enjoy it to this day. And I never knew the, the short story, um, was, was so far from it, but now I know not to, not to read it if it's nothing like the movie. Cause that, that story sounds stupid, man. You're, you're a, you're an infidel. The story is great. <laughs> oh yeah. Guy who eats grass. Sounds great. <laughs> Shouldn't have called it lawnmower man. Should have called it gay ass cow man. <laughs> I love the Lawnmower Man. It uh it it just has a really neat sci-fi virtual reality aspect that uh, we didn't have so much up to that point. The fact that they did that weird what they thought VR was going to be, like as opposed to trying to make it look real, I think ended up working out a lot better. Because if yeah. they tried to make something look real, it would have ended up like the the scene in um that Demi Moore Michael Douglas disclosure movie where Demi Moore's head is on this virtual reality thing that's eating information and, and just it can't <laughs> look worse than the Langoliers, but that's next week. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's a whole other thing. I loved the the look of it because it was that weird sleek sci-fi like version of what we thought uh VR was going to be and uh, and could still very well be. I mean, you know, they they probably be less processor power to make it look like that. I love the story, especially the director's cut. The director's cut adds the whole prequel part with Cyboman in it, I actually which thought, is only Okay, th- this is where I disagree with you. I've seen the director's cut too. I actually think this is one of the few times the director's cuts were I think those scenes bog the movie down, actually. Nah, I liked Well, you already don't like the movie, so you get no say. So yeah. you, Ooh! <laughs> no, I like the Cyboman stuff, because it gives it a little bit more depth, and it shows, like, where this all kind of started and how it, you know, what it came from. And uh, I just think that it's it's a neat movie. I think Jeff Fahey does an excellent job of starting off as, like, this mentally deficient guy who becomes, like, a genius by the end, and essentially turns into God. And then, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the sequel is uh really 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 dumb there's it has charm probably mostly because i love uh max headroom matt, but matt Frewer gives that movie way more charisma than it deserves yeah he really does because it's like it's so core and it starts off like it doesn't even make sense but I, I love the lawnmower man. I think it is, uh, it is very underrated. And again, okay, so it doesn't have anything in con, you know, it, it has, it shares the name of the book and that's it. But the end result is still a fun, really entertaining movie. Well, then it's continuing in 1992. We have an original movie. This one is not based off of any of his novels, Sleepwalkers. This movie was almost laughable. The horny cat ladies. The only reason I think Sleepwalkers is worthwhile is all of the cameos. Clive Barker as a mortician and Joe Dante and Mick Garris and John Landis and every director friend of Mick Garris's has a cameo in this movie. And that's the best thing I can say about it. I've actually never seen Sleepwalkers. It's about, it's about cat ladies who look human and when they get horny they turn no, into kitties. No, you're wrong. <laughs> Pay attention to the movie. I haven't seen it in 20 years. Ah, <laughs> oh, cat. Uh, 
God, Sleepwalkers is a good movie. What's wrong with you? Uh, Sleepwalkers Machin is Machin Amick about- is hot as hell, yes. Oh, Machin Amick is so beautiful in this. Um, <laughs> she, she, I love, it's, it's the other thing too, where we have this girl who's an absolute stunning, stunningly beautiful girl who is playing like the awkward nerd. And it's like, on what planet? Because she's a cat people. She's not the cat she's a people. Cat people. It's yes. Uh, Alice Creech and Brian Krauss are bast. They are they're uh from Egypt and they're from the gods that were in Egypt that people uh would feed their souls to. Brian Krauss was the was the son and he would absorb the souls of young girls and then feed them to the females. And so they were uh so they were cat people. They were bast. They were Egyptian gods and they had come to america and they were living in america but what was happening was it was getting harder and harder for them to uh to you know hide their identity because cats were chasing them down and a a cat scratch from a regular cat is what would kill them so you had a movie where these bass are going around he's absorbing the souls of young girls and having sex with the mother because that's how they transfer the soul so there's a whole incest thing going on then you have cats being the heroes because there's just hundreds of cats keep surrounding the house. We're making and going this sound way better than it actually is because it's, it's it's a terrible so movie. Good. You're stupid. You said you haven't seen it in 20 years. <laughs> you don't remember. You said Imagine Amic was a cat person. I remember. Person. It's laughable. It's not. You're wrong. Sleepwalkers well, is great. Well, then let's move on to 1993. We've got a, a George, another George Romero movie here, and I think this movie doesn't work. But it does, and that would be the dark half. I think the dark half and Secret Window, which comes out in 2004, should have been the same movie. Because I think both of those movies don't work, but they have great ideas in them. And if you took the the duality part of the dark half and the whole kind of plagiarism, is it real, is it not, of Secret Window, and made them together, you'd have a really good movie. I just, I don't know, I thought dark half was meh at best. I don't remember it. Really? So I, I can't say good or bad. I just, I, I'm pretty sure that I've seen it. Timothy but, um, Hutton is like a Stephen King analog where he's a horror author. They're not a hundred percent sure because some murders start happening. If I'm remembering right again, it's been 20 years. And one of the characters from his book, also played by Timothy Hutton might be committing the murders, but they, they should have gone with this whole, is it an alternate personality thing? But if it comes, it's definitely supernatural if I remember right. And I just remembered it was a wasted opportunity don't uh i don't remember much i think i may have only ever seen it once but uh i don't remember i don't remember either way like if i liked it or if i don't like it so it couldn't have made that much of an impression but i do want to check it out again i don't remember that one at all i don't know if i've seen it i remember secret window and kind of digging that one but i don't think i recall uh the dark half no also in 1993 we have needful things never read the novel the movie is okay but Max von Sydow is amazing. I, I won't say he steals the movie because he's technically the star. If you go to see Needful Things, just look for how awesome Max von Sydow is as maybe, maybe not Satan. I thought it was okay. I thought it was, um, it kind of, it didn't really appeal to me all that much. But again, it's another one that I've only ever seen once and I saw a long time ago. So uh, I just don't remember really getting into it all that much. Definitely haven't seen that one. Well, then in 1994, we have probably up to this point, 
it may be leaving out Stand By Me, the most un-Stephen King, Stephen King movie, and that would be The Shawshank Redemption, which is arguably mm. one of his best movies on a critical level. Problem is, I can't watch this movie anymore, maybe because TBS shows it every single weekend, and I've probably seen it 500 goddamn times at this point. I don't think I ever want to see The Shawshank Redemption again. I will add, it's a fantastic film. I wish I could tell you he fought off the sisters. <laughs> Drake from it's... Aliens as a rapist, man. <laughs> and Clancy Brown is a character named Hadley. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. In an alternate universe, you are Clancy Brown somewhere. The Shawshank Redemption is one of those movies that it's, it's one of those movies everybody loves and it's so highly regarded and it's won all these awards and everything. And I can't exactly deny that it's a well-made movie. But it's one of those movies I feel like, to me personally, is kind of overrated. Like, it's meh to me. I don't really care. It's kind of a an Oscar Beatty type flick. And even if it's Stephen King, it, it definitely doesn't feel like a like a Stephen King thing. And it's it's well acted. And, you know, um, Tim Robbins is good. And uh, Morgan Freeman is good. It's, it's a good movie. But uh, I don't really care too much for it. It is a devastating film. I put Shawshank kind of with a Schindler's List where... If you sit, like, just just know that if you watch it, your evening is going to be ruined. No, and no, I, I'm going to disagree with you completely. Because that ending, when he finally, when everything's coming together and he got all of them, and it's been this long game, it is so satisfying, man. It It is, but it's also like, he, like his, everything that he's had has been ruined. It's just, it's such a, it's, it's tough. It's really, it's, it's a great movie. It's, but it's a devastating movie. And what I mean is like, after you watch it, like there's no follow up, like every, like, uh, sometimes you'll like, Hey, I'm going to have a movie marathon tonight. I'm going to sit down. And then if that's the first time you're seeing it, you sit down, you watch it and you're just like, well, I have to go find something else because nothing is going to compare to that. And there's not going to be anything that I can watch that is, I'm going to be able to get into something else. So, uh, it's, uh, it is a great movie. It's great, uh, great acting, great directing. Just everything about it is, uh, is fantastic. The, the writing and uh, it is very much, um, like you said, a not Stephen King, Stephen King movie. I mean, it was a long time before I even knew it was a a Stephen King movie. Well, then in 1995, we get what I think is the dumbest Stephen King story ever made into one of the worst Stephen King movies ever, The Mangler. It's about a possessed piece of factory machinery that kills people, and you've got Robert Englund in terrible old age makeup. The Mangler is one of the dumbest films I've ever sat through up to that point. Mangler... Stephen King should have been embarrassed to have had that movie made. I was excited about The Mangler because I was like, ooh, Robert England in a uh, Stephen King movie? And yeah, same thing. I About halfway through, I'm like, oh, this is not getting any better, is it? Oh, God, it's a <laughs> it's a, uh, a steam press that's possessed or something. And then in the end, when it gets up off the ground and it's chasing him upstairs, uh, I'm like this, look, man. I am willing to suspend my disbelief to a certain degree, but you are pushing it when you've got a, a, you know, two ton steam press with teeth on it chasing somebody up the stairs and I'm supposed to be afraid of this. It just, it stunk. It was terrible. <laughs> it's one of the worst, possibly the worst of uh, the Stephen King movies. 
Well, I don't know about that. Cell still did come out in 2016. Oh, I, but... oh my God. You know what? Cell, God, I forgot. I, I think I blocked Cell out of my memory, which is why I wasn't thinking. We would have eventually got to it. I would have been like, oh, I take that back. I will, I'll, I'll watch freaking Mangler back to back before I watch Cell again. Ugh. I think I used to see the, the box for it in video stores like all the time. And I just Googled it because I, I remember seeing something to that effect. And there was a Mangler 2. And this is the one I remember seeing, and it's it's a face with, like, a blue, like, greenish teal face with gears and stuff coming out of it. And I remember seeing the the, the first one, the box art for it as well, and uh, wanting to see it but never did. And uh, You got lucky. You I, made the right choice. I'm both wishing yeah. that I did and both kind of glad that I didn't. Because, yeah, I, I'm looking at pictures of this shit, and it looks it looks ridiculous. Um, it, it's a, what is it, a, a heat press or, or what is it, it? It's like a steam press in a factory that's possessed and people keep falling into it and getting like sucked into hell or something like that. It, it's dumb as hell. <laughs> I, I'm looking at, uh, uh, Lance Henriksen's in the second one as the killer, it looks like. So that, that could be interesting. I haven't seen either of them though, but yeah, this was a movie that I remember more just seeing, uh, the, the box in the, uh, the video stores and stuff and, Kind of wanting to see it, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I know I don't really have any, any ties to it, but I think just based on the premise alone, I kind of have to see it. Finish out 1995 with Dolores Claiborne, the movie that almost got Joe Bob Briggs kicked off the air. Cause he, he made the joke, there's a flashback early on where, where Kathy Bates' wife is beating her, and he made the comment, well, if you were married to Kathy Bates, you'd beat her too. And that almost got him kicked off the air because of all the feminism outcry over that. But I I remember, I haven't seen Dolores Claiborne since 1995. I just remember it existing. I honestly couldn't give you more than a couple of scenes from it. I just remember I've seen it, and it is a movie. I've never seen. Never seen it, but I'm still looking at pictures of the Mangler, and the machine in it is also called Hadley. There you go. It's, it's, it's a Hadley Watson. What, what's with uh, Stephen King's obsession with your name? This is kind of weird. I'm going to have to confront him about that. Yeah, but no, I haven't seen the movie you were, you were talking about, no. Okay, I'm, I'm, we... still, I'm still too intrigued by this movie about uh, a press that eats people. Well, so I'm sure the ending's probably on YouTube. You can probably look it up and laugh at it. Cause it, it even has <laughs> like a, like it, it even has like these, uh, like, like lights on the front that turn into eyes and oh. it makes like a frowny face and it's like, oh my God. it's so bad. And it's played <laughs> totally straight. And it's, yeah, it's supposed to be like scary. And I'm like, this is, this might've been scary on like goosebumps if I was five. It's awful. Let's go to 1996. Again, a technical Stephen King movie, because this was also a Richard Bachman story. We have Thinner. Which, oh, Thinner. Thinner, I remembered, this could have been a good Tales from the Dark Side episode. It was so stretched to be a movie. And I remember yeah. Robert John Burke is a fantastic actor, but he looked so fake in the fat suit that <laughs> it, it takes you out of the movie right away. And you're like, no, what the hell? That is, you had K and B, man. How did you, how did the fat suit look so fake? It looks like Robert John Burke in a freaking fat suit. I've got weird connections to thinner. Um, cause, cause me and a buddy of mine, we, we have, um, sort of what make us bond, I guess, is our hatred for Robocop 3. Both of us pretty much, uh, when we were kids, sort of, we, we connected on this because we both found out about Robert Burke through the movie Thinner and through Robocop 3. So we've kind of taken it upon ourselves to call him Thinner Cop 
So anytime <laughs> we see him in anything, he'll message me. It's like, oh man, I was watching this movie and I was really liking it. Thinner cops in it. And I'm like, thinner cop, that cunt. And we'll just f-ing rant for like. <laughs> but he's a minutes. great actor, man. He is a great actor. He is a great actor, but I now associate him as thinner cop. So anytime I watch thinner, he's thinner cop. Anytime I see anything from Robocop 3, particularly, oh f- man, thinner cop 3. It's, this is just something that's been a building up for the last, I don't know, like 11 years, maybe more. So that that's literally all I associate Thinner with. Even though I like it as a movie, I actually fairly enjoy um, Thinner. It's it's obviously better than than RoboCop Three, and Robert Burke is a good actor. But I but I associate it with these weird things. I do agree that it would probably make for a better like anthology show episode, like a short kind of episode. But I I, I still like it. I think it's 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 a solid um, Stephen King adaptation flick. From the the later '90s, and and I enjoy the little little connections I have to it. I I quite I quite like ranting about Thinner Cop and hating on RoboCop Three. It's it's one of the one of the few things that really give me a lot of joy in life. I like Thinner <laughs> a lot. Between Robert John Burke and Joe Montana just playing a brilliant mob guy getting revenge on these gypsies who have, you know, cursed his buddy. And, you know, Kari Wurr is in it. She plays the the one gypsy girl. And, you know, if you lift her skirt, if you give her a quarter or whatever, I I like it. I mean, I don't mind the uh, the fat suit all that much because when he starts losing weight, I think is when it really kicks in and it starts to look genuinely creepy. And his, you know, I'm being erased. It's, uh, <laughs> it's good because his performance uh, is what overcomes it. Long, long time ago, I was going to do like a good bad Netflix episode on it but i watched it again and i'm like you know what like this is not the kind of movie that i can make fun of like this is like or even like not so much make fun of but like goof on like this is like legitimately entertaining um i didn't think it was padded all that much i mean it only was a couple of scenes that started to get slow and then once they got slow they picked back up and uh, i think that the performances were what really carried this and uh, i like thinner a lot well, in 1997, and I might be cheating here a little bit because in America, this was an HBO original film, but in the rest of the world, this was theatrical. The Night Flyer. Love this movie. Miguel Ferrar is so sleazy and yet so brutally charismatic in this. I actually think the vampire stuff gets in the way of me watching this, this sleazy D's quote unquote journalist look for dirt for a tabloid. I wanted a full movie of that. The vampire stuff actually gets in the way of the brilliant character stuff. We can't have it now because he's dead, unfortunately. Like, I wanted a prequel to The Night Flyer. I wanted more about this character uh, because, like you said, the I mean, the vampire stuff was very cool. And I liked his obsessive nature of chasing after uh, the vampire. But him being just an ass was great. Yet because... he was so charismatic at the same time. You couldn't help but like him, even though in real life you want to, you would want to punch this guy. Oh, you would hate the guy, but you loved all the things that he was doing to get the story, how he was screwing people over and... Uh, literally I... screwing people in a, literally... in a mortuary to get photos yeah. of a dead celebrity's child. It, uh, it was, it was something else, man. He was just a complete scumbag. He was like, it was a very good, it's kind of like when you're, you know, you're watching the movie and you're, you're rooting for the bad guy kind of thing. It's like, all right, well, he's, you, you wouldn't want anything to do with this person in reality, but in the context of the movie, you're liking him. So, but I liked the, the vampire. I liked how they made him very, very handsome and charismatic. And then at the end, when you see like what his true form is, you're like, oh, Oh, this, I've never seen a vampire like this before. 
<laughs> well, and, and th- th- that whole cafe massacre at the airport—that was brutal. Oh, that was—it was absolutely brutal. Just yeah, crazy. You said we got it on HBO here in the U.S., but I'm watching it and I'm like, this, this is not like a V. I mean, now you get movies that are VOD that are, that are big movies, but back then, like something that got dumped direct to video was like a little, like, you know, nothing production. This had a lot of like production behind it. This was a well-made movie. It was relatively low budget though. But it looked, it looked like a bigger movie i've seen i've seen smaller piles of garbage that get a theatrical release and uh, i don't know why especially i guess because stephen king's movies hadn't really done all that well for a while like the past few had uh bombed so uh i guess they figured they would just dump this one you know, like maybe they figured there wasn't interest anymore yeah it was uh i think you guys have really covered a lot of what what really makes it work it, it's also one of those movies that for the first time before seeing it i would see it at the video store a lot I ended up actually getting to rent that one eventually, and I really enjoyed it a lot. I think it's a really, really awesome movie. I think what you guys said about Miguel Ferrara, definitely on point. It's, um, it's one of those must-see ones, I think, and it's sort of, it's a little more, it's not quite as widely known as some of the other ones, but it's one that I really recommend highly for people to check out. That's a really good one. Then in 1998, we have Apt Pupil. Which I, I love the novella. I read the novella years before the movie was made. And I thought the movie was just disappointing. They changed some key scenes from the novella by swapping things around to make the, the boy a little more sympathetic. Where in the book, he's an evil bastard who jacks off thinking about killing homeless people. That kind of stuff awesome. has been removed. I don't know. I just, the, the movie did not work for me. I, I thought they softened it too, they softened it too much. So apt pupil, it's okay. I haven't seen it, but you know, jacking off to killing homeless people, that's, that's my kind of guy. I thought that Ian McKellen, like, was terrific. And when's he not? Well, true, but that's the thing. Like, I thought that he was just really underused. And for it being an R-rated film, I think it was a very soft R. I think that they probably gave it the R simply because of this, the material, you know, because it was such a sensitive topic. But, uh, I think it, like they, it could have gone a lot further and, uh, it, I think it would have been a lot better. That's one kind of like it where I think that they they didn't do a very good job of capturing it the first time. And so I think that uh, that one definitely deserves like a remake, like t- to do it again. You know, don't don't do the shining again. The shining is already perfect and they already tried to do it once again and it stunk. So like take like King's other works that, uh, you know, didn't really do as well as they should have, weren't handled properly and ended up bombing. So uh, I think that App Pupil is one that definitely needs a redo. Well, and then as we close out the 90s, we come to The Green Mile, which I always thought, even though it's legally not, it was a very spiritual sequel to Shawshank Redemption. I mean, it's Frank Darbaugh as well. Surprisingly, a lot of the returning, a lot of the same cast members as different characters. Green Mile just never did anything for me. It's got parts that are good. Doug Hutchinson is so sleazy in this movie, and watching him intentionally screw up that execution is one of is is almost puke inducing which is a good thing but i just think overall the green mile it's got tom hanks struggling to pee i i'm not sure how i can take a movie seriously after seeing tom hanks scream while pissing uh green mile is sort of in the same vein to me as a shawshank redemption where i can completely acknowledge that it's it's a great film uh it's very well made it's very well acted 
it's uh deserves its place but it's not one that i really go out of my way to to rewatch like i i love michael clark duncan's performance i think everybody in it does a really good job it's got a great atmosphere to it it's a good story but it's not one of those like rewatch value movies for me i mean it's one of those ones i can i understand why it's considered so great just not one that i go out of my way to to watch like over and over again like it's it's good it's it's a good movie yeah green mile is uh, is a terrific movie kind of like shawshank just a, a a evening ruiner uh michael clark duncan is so good it's um a really uh, terrific thing like i um i've only seen it a, a couple times because I, I just can't watch it too much i think that's why i'd say it's not really rewatchable like just to not confuse anybody or give anybody any wrong ideas that's sort of why i don't consider shawshank or green mile to be like one of those movies you can just throw on at any time it's really a lot like bad lieutenant or henry portrait of a serial killer where they're very good movies and you get why they're good but they leave you feeling so freaking torn apart on the inside and so depressed that you can't really just go back and rewatch them like they're they're almost sort of event films by themselves and they always uh they always stick with you then there was no stephen king film in 2000 and then we get to 2001's hearts in atlantis i saw this once on cable maybe 2002 or 2003 and i remember this being one of the most sappy hokey just down home homespun little fun Movies that I remember this movie just being boring as hell. Maybe I'm misremembering it, but Hearts in Atlantis sucked. Uh, never seen it. Big nope on that one. Never seen it. Then nothing in 2002, and then we get to 2003's Dreamcatcher. A movie that's filled with good ideas and terrible, terrible execution. I mean, you've got the shit weasels and stuff, and you got Tom Sizemore and Morgan Freeman being awesome, and you got Duddit. And then you've got Jason Lee. I'm sorry, after the toilet scene with Jason Lee, I was just like, no, I'm done. Screw this movie. That is the stupidest thing I've seen. That's the stupidest thing I've seen a character do just to move the plot along. I'm done, movie. No, screw you. I'm done. I've only seen Dreamcatcher once. Um, I remember thinking it was too similar to The Thing, and that's that's about it. I, I think the last time I saw it was like in high school. I don't remember it being bad. I just remember wanting to watch The Thing instead. I liked the contrast of the reds against the white and the snow. I liked the way that they did the, the blizzard in the film. Look of certain aspects of it, but overall it was silly. I thought the aliens were kind of cool looking. I, I liked like I, more so again, like the visual aspects of it. Just the story was absolutely stupid. Morgan Freeman's eyebrows were hilarious. He had big caterpillars on his head almost. He face. really did. It, it was weird. Like you had a lot of incredibly talented actors in it. And I think they were all trying for some kind of ensemble piece. Like each one had their own quirks. And uh, there were things that they did. It kind of did harken back to like it where they would show them as kids. And the one kid, um, he had like Duddits. Yeah, Duddits had like, you know, special powers and they found the girl in the in the well. And uh, it it just I think it like there was a lot of potential there. And I don't know how the book is, but uh, it just ended up feeling really goofy that's a good way to put it then we go to 2004 with secret window which i already brought up i think it's just it's kind of like a redo of the dark half and i know it's based on a different story but it's like a redo of the dark half and just not as good and i mean johnny depp is good but i don't know any actor could have played this role johnny depp does this is not one of his better performances 
I liked Secret Window. I actually saw that one in, in theaters, in fact, when it came out. I saw, it, I saw it a couple times. I saw it in theaters, and I saw it on uh, on home release after. Um, I enjoyed it. For what it was, it was pretty good. Um, I, I just liked that a horror film had come out at around that time. Like, I feel like that year was, was pretty weak for a lot of movies, and I thought that one was actually kind of original, at least for what was coming out at the time, and I really liked it for what it was. It, it wasn't, like, great, but I would give it, a, like, a solid good. Like, it was a good movie. Well, I have a feeling Stephen King was trying to work something out because he wrote the book The Dark Half in 1989, which was about, you know, the du- duality of an author, and then he wrote Secret Window in 1990 about the duality of an author. Mm. So I don't know if he was trying to use Secret Window to fix the problems with Dark Half or if that's just a phase he was going through. Probably, yeah. He, he, he does do a lot of meta stuff. I mean, I know he kind of, he wrote himself into some of the Dark Tower stuff, you know, there's... The later stuff, yeah. Yeah, there's the stuff with Misery with the author, there's the stuff with Dark Half and then Secret Window, like... Tommy Knockers has stuff with an author. Yeah, he, he, he does a lot of self-referential stuff. I think that's just him. I think it's, it's sort of his way of maybe immersing himself into the story if he can't really come up with anything else. That's my theory. Then in, also in 2004 we had although it was direct to video it only had a it only had a small theatrical release Mick Garris's Riding the Bullet which is a film that defines padding this was a novella that needed to be a tales from the dark side episode this was a 30 minute story stretched to 90 minutes and my god you can tell when you watch Riding the Bullet they're trying desperately to reach 90 minutes Either of, either of you guys seen this one? I haven't seen it. Nope. Well, then we get back to theatrical. We have a couple of 2005 and 2006, no Stephen Kings. And then we have 1408, a movie I saw the first half of and just went, you know what, I don't care how this ends, I, and I just left. So technically, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie because I've only seen half of it, but the first 40 or so minutes I saw were terrible. Haven't seen, but uh I've had a lot of people telling me that I should see it, but I just, uh I don't know. Um... John Cusack, outside of uh, Better Off Dead, I I don't like him. Like, He's got to be Lane Meyer. He has to be. Yeah, like I think like uh, like I've seen him in so many other. I think maybe Gr- Gross Point Blank probably is borderline. But uh, the majority of the time, when I see him in movies that aren't Better Off Dead, I I just end up not liking his character. And uh, and so that's kind of uh, when I saw 1408, I'm just like meh. And I've just never watched it. 1408 is a movie starring John Cusack. Yes. <laughs> That's it, it, pretty it, it, much it. I, yeah. I watched it and I don't remember watching it. Like, I found it pretty, uh, pretty forgettable. Well, to make up for that, in 2007, we also have what I think might be one of the best Stephen King adaptations ever. And that is Frank Darbaugh's The Mist. The mm, Mist yes. is so good. I actually think you want to talk about a mood killer. That ending, which is not from the Stephen King novel, but Stephen King likes way better than the ending of his novel. Mm-hmm. That ending is one of the most nihilistic, just depressing things ever. And Thomas Jane sells it. I, I mean, I actually, when I first saw The Mist and saw that ending, I said, I think Rod Serling's about to break out of his coffin and give a big thumbs up to Frank Darbaugh for this. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. I haven't read the short story, uh, or at least I didn't when the movie came out. It was uh, it wasn't until after that I'd read it because it was a, it was a short read, and I really do have to agree. The ending to the movie is so bleak and so nihilistic and so perfectly horror. It 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 breaks you. The ending of that movie just shatters you. 
into pieces. And it, it's uh, if anyone needed proof that Thomas Jane is just a stellar actor, that movie proves it. I mean, I, I think he's good in pretty much everything he's in. He's one of my favorite actors, but The Mist might be might be his best work. And just as uh, even just as a creature feature alone with like monsters and Lovecraftian beings and all this like interdimensional stuff. It's a good cosmic horror story in and of itself. It's got great mood. I also recommend if anyone that uh, has the or can get their hands on the, I believe it's the special edition DVD where you can watch the black and white version of it. It's even better like that because then all the effects have kind of this 50s, 60s creature feature look where the CG actually kind of looks like uh, stop motion animation. And it, because it, it's really filmed. Yeah, in yeah. black and white, th- this could have been a feature length Twilight Zone episode. Absolutely. It feels like it. When it's in black and white, you can tell because it was filmed as that type of, of monster movie. The characters are very similar. There's a high focus on, on religion and end-of-the-world doomsday prophecy kind of stuff. The way the characters speak, you, you could see it coming out in the in the 50s or, or early 60s as a black-and-white sort of creature feature monster movie. So getting to watch it in its intended format, because I believe they, they originally did want to shoot in black-and-white, and, white, and the, the special edition DVD gives you the option to see it that way, and it's so worth it. It, it makes the movie like 10 times better than it originally was, and it's already a, a phenomenal film. Cecil, I'm going to go out on a limb and say all the little baby spider monsters from the mist breaking out of the guy's flesh was probably a nope moment for you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know, I know Cecil, you have a thing about bugs, so. It was unpleasant. Oh, you weren't, oh God. I was doing a stream the other night and, uh, one of those, um, house centipedes fell on me. And, uh, <laughs> and the, the, the audience is like, well, he's dead. Cause I'm just like, Hey, anyway, ah! <laughs> uh, but about the mist, oh, the mist is terrific. The mist is the, the mist I would say is probably my, my all time favorite Stephen King horror movie. Cause I loved the short story. I thought the short story was great. I thought I, w- I wanted the short story to be longer. I wanted the short story to be a full book because I thought that there was so much there that uh, could have been done. And, uh, I thought that the, the ending of the short story was very, uh, just, uh, you know, they drive off into the unknown. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, in the movie, they did give it a very definitive ending. And as you said, it's just, uh, it's just devastating. It's one of, th- I-, I did not see that ending coming and when it happens it just uh, thomas jane sells it completely and it is just heartbreaking and i know a lot of people they say that the ending ruined the movie uh i already loved the movie and then when they did that ending i loved the movie even more because that takes gigantic 10 ton balls to be able to pull off that kind of an ending in a fairly mainstream movie mm-hmm. that and like was... i said stephen king like i said stephen king liked that ending better yeah. That ending is better. That ending is better, way better than, than the ending in his book. And that's the thing with Stephen King. That is a recurring theme. He does kind of flop sweat out on the endings. Like there are a lot of, mo- a lot of books he has where the endings, it's just kind of like, oh, I don't know. Stuff happens. Like he doesn't really have like a very satisfying ending. It's that the, the, the story is really good. And then the ending just kind of peters happens. out. But you know, but yeah, I it's, think it's uh, just the, it's the uh, Coke wearing off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> He's oh God, I spent all the money, you know, the, the book pre-sales on the, on the Coke. Yeah. The, the mist is just, uh, is fantastic. It's, uh, it's incredible. And uh, I do need to watch the, uh, the black and white version. I haven't seen the black and white version yet, but I've seen the, uh, the color version, obviously. And, uh, I think it is uh, fantastic. Fantastic. 
Well, now, for some reason, no, he'd had his accident before this, so this wasn't caused by the car accident. There was not a single movie adaptation of a Stephen King work for nine more years until 2016's Cell. This was a screenplay by Stephen King adapting his own novel. Cell was one of the worst movies I saw in 2016. What the hell happened? Cell apparently uh, also, I think, was done in 2013, if I'm not mistaken, 2012 or 2013. Well, and it, it came out sat, in 2016. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. And it sat on a shelf for a good reason. <laughs> Until they finally <laughs> dropped it like a turd in, uh, in 2016. It was abysmal. It was laughably bad. Like... I, I was astonished at how terrible it was. And again, freaking uh, John Cusack. He keeps, and Samuel L. Jackson. He keeps, uh, well, Samuel L. Jackson, I, I usually, I like, and you know, I didn't, I know I, he was in 1408, but, um, I just haven't seen that. But, uh, in this, I was like, you know what? I'll give it the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt. I thought that the, the idea sounded neat and, hey, you know what? There's been some movies that have been shelved and then they come out and you're like, holy crap, you know, like, like trick or treat. Why the hell didn't they release that? Like, what was the problem? It's a great movie. And so I watched this and it's like, oh, that's why it's terrible unbelievably bad like as you're watching it you're like this can't possibly get worse and it continues to get worse and then somehow the ending ends up being even more worse one of the most idiotic asinine stupid endings like the whole movie leads up to the dumbest ending you've ever seen it is an awful film it is absolutely awful i would sooner watch the mangler twice in a row and watch <laughs> sell again and, and i hate the mangler the mangler was awful i'd seen some ads for it and i watched like the trailer and it just didn't look interesting i never checked it out and then we come finally to this year where we had two stephen king movies come out although gerald's game is is coming up but that's a netflix thing so i'll call that television so we're not going to talk about gerald's game and none of us have seen it there was the dark tower the long in production trouble dark tower i'm just gonna go from Cecil's review. Cecil saw it a day or so before I did. He messages Peter and I, Dark Tower blows ass. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was pretty much right. I don't even consider this a movie. This is, this is the TV edit of a movie released to theaters. You can tell when you see the Dark Tower. Every single scene went on longer. You can tell this. You can tell there's got to be 90 minutes of deleted scenes out there. All the kills are off screen. Characters get shot in the head. Headshots at clo- at point-blank range. And there's no blood. This movie is so screwed with in post-production, I don't even think we've seen the movie. We've seen the TV version of The Dark Tower. Peter, I know you haven't seen it, so I'll just ask Cecil. What the hell? I was angry. I hadn't read, read any of the books, so I had no, like, you know, you know, inkling, inkling one way or the other. I just know that a lot of people were like finally doing Dark Tower and having Idris Elba is fantastic. This is going to be so awesome. It's going to be great. So I was like, okay, I kind of went off of everybody's feelings about it. Of, I was like, okay, you know what? All these people are talking about how great it must be. And Stephen King, what, there's like 10 of them or something. This has got to be uh, a big deal. So they probably handled it well. And people, the trailers came out and everybody was excited. Everybody said that the trailers looked really good. I didn't no one way or the other and i went and i was within 10 minutes i'm like this this is really going to be tough like i knew early on that this was going to suck i just got that feeling and it never went away and the whole movie just sucked it was terrible uh matthew mcconaughey was wasted um idris alba 
he just kind of walked around and, and was pissy. Uh, the kid was annoying. The effects were abysmal. The there kid's was... mom was hot as hell, though. Oh, I love the mom. And then she just gets barbecued off screen. Off camera. Yeah. Oh, it's, it gave, like, any, any emotion that you might have felt was just gone because they did it off cam. It's, it, uh, it stunk. It's, uh, it's going to be, in my worst films of this year. There's like, it was that bad. I mean, it's not going to be the worst of the year, but it's going to be one of the worst. If, say, the Blu-ray that comes out on Halloween, weird date for a fantasy movie, the Blu-ray that comes out on Halloween, if it's a director's cut, say there's an hour of footage put back in, do you think the movie's savable? I still think it's not really. No, I think it's very possible because I've seen a few movies where uh, I did not like them and they, they, they'll put things in because there's sometimes where they'll have a movie where the theatrical cut they put scenes in the theatrical cut that uh, were never intended to be in the film they just kind of were extraneous scenes that they threw in because they had cut out so much other material so it's very possible that it might be able to be fixed i don't know if it's going to be but uh i would be curious to check it out if they do actually release like a director's cut a legitimate director's cut not one where they're like director's cut when the director's like i had nothing to do with this but uh so if they put that out and it's a legit director's cut the the violence is put back in and the story is put back in it's possible that there might actually be a story there catapulting children into a tower just i i i thought it stunk technically not what happened he was catapulting their shine into a tower but i you know but yeah it's still but i mean you hear children going hey boom you know? <laughs> Peter, after what we just said, do you even want to see the movie? Not really. I mean, the, I've, I've read um the first book, uh, Gunslinger, and I liked it, but the movie, I don't know. I mean, I I might I might uh, check it out later on down the line, but I wasn't really in a rush to see it in theaters. It, which I have not seen the new movie, and I don't think Peter has. I think Cecil, you're the only one amongst us who's seen it, and I seen it, and I know you liked it. But since that's still in theaters, I actually want to do I want to talk about that at a later date after Peter and I have seen it, really. Yeah. OK, I will just say that it is very good. Next week, we'll look at all of the Stephen King's TV adaptations for all of his theatricals. Do you think he's had a good record or a bad record? Because I'm looking over these movies and I'm going, man, there's a lot of garbage here. You know, let's say for the sake of this argument, all of the books are worthwhile. He has not had good luck having his books turned into movies. He hasn't. He's got maybe a 12 to 15% quality ratio here. I don't know. I've, I've liked most of them, I'd say. I don't think I've been disappointed by too, too, too many of them. So I'd, I'd say at least in my own opinion, it's been a pretty decent track record. More, more, uh, more good than bad. And if it's been bad, it's been entertainingly bad. I think the good far outweighs the bad in terms of quality. Now, I'm not saying that the quantity of them, that there's been more good than there's been bad. There's been more bad than good. However, the ones that have been good have been great. They've been just phenomenal movies. And I think that uh, they're still enduring classics that people will talk about, people still watch, and people still enjoy. So I think that even though he's had some crap factories that have come out because of rushed productions or budgets or whatever reasons, the genuine article, really good Stephen King movies, have far outweighed the uh, the, the glut of bad ones. Well then, as we're leading into next week, 
I don't think his TV ratio is going to be nearly as high. <laughs> no, 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 no. His <laughs> no sir. His no, TV no. ratio is is not looking too good. <laughs> well, we'll talk. We'll talk about that next week. For now, where can we find Cecil? Uh, you can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. Where can we find Peter? Uh, YouTube, Cinematicus, Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook, the Cinematicus, 1201beyond.com. I've got a new episode out, uh, David A. Pryor's Killer Workout. Go watch it. Give me money. Buy my shirts. Uh, I have everything to gain. You have everything to lose. I can't follow that, but I'm at 1201beyond.com. <laughs> you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Next week, we get into the dregs, the TV stuff. Oh, boy. Have a good night. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. To the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape More losing fangs The picking up bones Spirits moaning Among the tombstones And at night When the moon is bright Someone cries Something ain't right I don't wanna be buried In a pet cemetery Do
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.